Listener Production. So I reckon this might be one of those episodes that future you thanks present day you for listening to. Because if you don't have a plan for your savings or you don't start young enough, you're costing future you hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the reason so many of us put off a solid savings and investment plan is that investing in shares seems too complicated and too risky. In this episode, we speak to the host of the finance podcast, Equity Mates, and they really help simplify stock market investing with a simple four-step strategy. You don't need to be a sophisticated investor or spend huge amounts of time researching stocks. This is a plan that allows people who want to put their money to work, but don't you know, necessarily have the interest or the skills to spend huge amounts of time researching. That's Alec and Bryce from Equity Mates. They are our guests in this episode of The Briefing. First, here are today's headlines. Hello, it's Jan Fran here. It is Friday the 25th of August and the US President Joe Biden has pointed the finger at the Russian President Vladimir Putin for the reported death of rebel leader Yevgeny Prigozhin in a plane crash. There's not much that happens in Russia. Yeah, if you didn't hear that one clearly the first time, there's not much that happens in Russia that Putin is not behind. Now, there was no official confirmation, but Vladimir Putin has just spoken about uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin. Here is part of what he had to say about the former leader of the Wagner Group. According to the initial information, Wagner company employees were on board. Yeah, so Putin's speech is interesting. He's certainly not taking responsibility for the death of Yevgeny uh, Prigozhin, but he actually paid tribute to him in some ways, but said he made serious mistakes. Yeah. I mean, it's he sent sincere condolences to the families of all of those uh, who died. He said that uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin had made a significant contribution to the common cause of Russia, which included fighting Nazis in the Ukraine. So, um, you know, parts of his, uh, I guess, speech were very positive. And yet there's uh, speculation that comes from the top in the United States, the president we heard, who thinks Vladimir Putin is behind it all. Yeah, he said he doesn't know for sure yet, but that's his suspicion. So hopefully we'll learn more, but we might not. Um, I mean, it all depends if Prigozhin ever puts his head up again. That'll certainly give us an indication whether he's alive. Um, A lot of the commentary yesterday was, this is a shocking killing, but not surprising because as we discussed yesterday, Jan, anyone who really stands up to Vladimir Putin seems to die. And Malka Leifer, the former principal of the ultra-Orthodox Adas Israel School in Melbourne, has been jailed for 15 years for abusing two former students. This is a momentous day to be standing outside court. We feel overwhelmed and grateful that the legal system has recognised and validated the extreme impact of abuse by female perpetrators. So that was one of the victims, Ellie Sapper there, and the offending happened between 2004 and 7 when her victims, Darcy Elrich and Ellie Sapper, were high school students uh, and then student teachers. Um, Leifer was found guilty of 18 offences, including six counts of rape. This conviction brings an end to a very long saga for these women who were sisters. Uh, Leifer initially fled to Israel. This was in 2008 after the accusations were raised against her. 
She was arrested there in 2014, but she had her extradition to Australia suspended because a court ruled that she was mentally unfit to stand trial. Now, as I said, that happened in 2014. In 2021, an Israeli judge found that she had faked mental illness, essentially to avoid facing court, and the judge ordered that she be sent to Melbourne. Now, in 2023, we're seeing this conviction recorded uh, with time served. That means that she will be eligible for parole in, in less than six years. Yeah, but such a tough battle to get her extradited from Israel, um, all those legal procedures and, you know, these these women really had to keep fighting to get this woman back to face justice. And finally yesterday you could hear some sense of relief that they, they'd, you know, seen her be, be given a fairly substantial sentence. Qantas is back in the black for the first full year since 2019, recording its strongest profit ever. It posted a full year net profit of $1.7 billion. Now we come out of COVID after nearly going bankrupt. I've been 11 weeks away from it with the strongest balance sheet, with the strongest profitability we ever had and the biggest investment profile we've ever had. Yeah, that was outgoing CEO Alan Joyce there speaking on 7.30, sounding, well, he's sounding a little bit chuffed, if I may say so. I picked that up in his voice there. Yeah, well, he's about to walk away from the job, so that's a pretty good place to leave the business in. Um, If you're thinking, well, of course they're making huge profits because their flights are so expensive. Well, yes, they are. Alan Joyce confirmed that they are uh, expensive, but he reckons domestic flights are only 4% higher than they were pre-pandemic. Yeah, okay. He did offer some hope um, that there would be cheaper flights. He was saying that the um, airfares peaked last year and they will keep coming down. We can only hope, Jan. Yeah, fingers crossed. Qantas had quite a bit of government assistance during the pandemic, almost a billion dollars in JobKeeper subsidies. Uh, They were also paid, according to Alan Joyce, a billion dollars by the government to rent an aircraft. That's all taxpayer money. And he was actually asked whether he would pay that back uh, on 7.30 last night. And essentially he said no, but the slightly longer answer was that the best way to pay it back, according to him, was to pay tax So that's what he's going to do. That's the plan. All right. Thanks, Jan. We'll catch you later. I'm about to talk investing made simple with Equity Mates. Because of the high inflation cost of living crisis we're all going through, so many of us are rethinking our finances, our spending, our saving, basically how we can survive and hopefully get ahead. And this is something that the two guys from Equity Mates are thinking about all the time. Alec Renahan and Bryce Lesk are the hosts of Equity Mates Investing. It's a podcast that's doing really well with young people, and they've released a book called Don't Stress, Just Invest, which lays out a simple four part strategy for long term stock market investing. Bryce, Alec, thank you so much for joining us on the briefing. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So you start off in the book by pointing out that. Our human instincts actually work against our own financial future. So what are these human instincts that are leading us astray? The brain has evolved to be really good uh, to help us survive day to day and um, to hunt and to gather and to survive, essentially. Mm. It hasn't evolved to help us think long term and to plan long term, to make sensible decisions today that help us long term. Psychological research out of the US has shown that 
our future self is essentially a stranger to our current <laughs> self. And uh, when we make decisions that disadvantage us today uh, but benefit us in the long term, it's in our brains it's essentially like we're helping a stranger. We don't think of it as our future selves. So uh, our brains aren't set up to think long term uh, when it comes to our money and our finances and that really impacts us all when it comes to investing. Okay, so we hate uncertainty, we're fearful, we're trying to survive day to day. It's like we just walked out of the, the cave and then they invented the ASX and we're yeah. like, oh, <laughs> what do we do now? So your plan basically is a relatively simple way of, of getting around this so that we can sort of put our lizard brain to one side and actually build for the future in a very simple, sustainable way. And so let's go to this plan. You've got this four-part investment strategy. Step one, get paid. Okay. Yes. So fairly simple. Yep. Step two, automate your investing. So put a regular amount away and make it automatic so you don't have to touch it. Step three, buy a bit of everything. And we'll come to what that means because that's probably the most complex part. Step four is repeat one, two, three every payday. So it's about setting up this regular plan. So let's get to the complex part of that. Buy a bit of everything. You're talking about stocks here, but maybe not as most people know it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we're in an age now where um, we've seen the rise of what's called the ETF or the Exchange Traded Fund. And the whole purpose of this book is to show people that you don't need to be a sophisticated investor or spend huge amounts of time researching stocks. This is uh, a plan that allows people who want to put their money to work, but don't you know, necessarily have the interest or the skills to spend huge amounts of time researching. And there are products now available that allow you to buy in single trades, literally a bit of multiple companies bucketed in, in one area. And that can be at a global scale, which is a really important concept to understand. And, and we go through it in the book. I mean, the analogy that we give, I don't know if we included it in this book, is the fruit salad. You know, mm. the traditional stock market that we all think of is you can buy individual pieces of fruit. A banana might be Commonwealth Bank, an apple might be BHP. Let's see how far I can torture this metaphor. <laughs> um, There's 200 stocks. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this ETF um, that has really only emerged in the last 20 years allows us to buy the fruit salad with one slice of banana, one slice of apple. So one slice of Commonwealth mm. Bank, one slice of BHP. The great thing is you can... Uh, buy an ETF from just a dollar or even less than a dollar these days. So it means you can get started with everything with almost nothing. On the news each night when you hear, say, oh, the ASX 200 has gone up 1%, what they're talking about is the top 200 companies on the ASX. And these funds mean you can buy a little bit of all of those 200 companies, which means you're not taking a big risk on choosing the wrong stock. Mm. Mm. And I think one of the other important things to note is like one of the basic principles of investing is to diversify. It's a way of managing your risk. And one way you can do that is not only investing in the ASX 200, but across global markets. Mm. So that if the ASX 200 is suffering, you know, the US market might be going well, the, the German market, the UK, and these ETFs allow you to get access to markets on a global scale, literally from investing from your bedroom. And we talk about in the book how there are ETFs available that give you global access, diversified access across multiple asset classes and geographies just in a simple trade. Okay. So if someone was putting away $100 a month, they get paid, they pull out $100 every payday. The next day it goes in onto an investment platform where they can invest in one of these ETFs. Tell us about these platforms and the mechanics of that, how it works. 
Yeah, so if you think about your classic Wall Street movie, it's, uh, you know, rows of people on the phone or, you know, in a trading pit yelling at each other, putting orders in. That was what, uh, you know, Wall Street and what the Australian stock market was maybe 20 or 30 years ago. Now it's all digital. Now um, the way that we buy shares is the same way that we buy, you know, clothes and stuff online. It's it's essentially an e-commerce platform. In fact, we um, did an experiment. Um, is it quicker to buy Amazon stock or Amazon socks, <laughs> like socks off Amazon.com or um, a stock, a shares in Amazon on a brokerage platform? It was about 30 seconds to do each of them. Like, I think it was a bit quicker to buy the stock even these days. So you could just choose, say, the S&P 500, which is the biggest 500 companies in America, and that would give you a pretty good spread of risk. Mm-hmm. And what has that returned over the years on average? Between sort of 8 and 10% is, the, is what you would uh, expect o- over the long term. Now, what that means is that some years it might fall 10, mm. 20%. Other years it might jump up, you know, 50%. But over the long term, it averages around that 8 to 10% mark. So timing is really interesting, right? It's a big theme you addressed in the book and you used a term that most people won't understand, dollar cost averaging, yes. which is a strategy about how to time your entry into the market. Tell us more about that because I had an interesting experience with this. I, I had my savings ready to get into um, stock market investing in 2007. I almost, as this is old school, before all these platforms that made your strategy possible, was about to start a relationship with a stockbroker. I had the forms and everything. And then the global financial crisis hit and I was so glad I didn't invest, but it kind of turned me off share market investing and also interest rates were better at the time. So I just actually put my savings into an ING direct account. Mm. Sounds all very mm. retro, mm. <laughs> um, but it was returning like six or 7%. So that's how I saved for my first house deposit. Mm. But what's your strategy on, on the timing and how to work around these scary moments in history where things actually go down and you don't want to be the person who just put all their money in before that? Mm. Timing the market is something that everyone uh, will try and do, especially when they're uh, a new investor, because it feels like the right thing to do. Buy buy low, sell high is like Mm. one of those mantras that you sort of Mm. hear. The challenge is no one can do it. No one is good at timing the market and anyone who tells you that they know where the market is going to go, run away as fast as you can (laughs) because they, they can't. Like even the greatest investors in the world don't try and time the market because it's just... It's mass psychology that you're trying to predict, and that's impossible. The important thing with uh, dollar cost averaging, this this term where it's just you're regularly putting a little bit away, is that you take trying to time the market out of the equation because you're buying when things are good, you're buying when things are bad, and you're buying everywhere in between. And so over time, it means you get the average price. And as the stock market moves up and down, you're um, buying more of this ETF when prices are low and you're buying less when prices are high. Uh, And so it's a way to just consistently get in and get an average return. Your podcast that made you guys famous is all about picking stocks. You're looking at valuations and I hear the the excitement in your voices. You're frothing. You love talking about this stuff. So you're throwing around all these ratios and it's clearly not in line with the strategy you've just been outlining here. That's for the 20% that you kind of basically gamble? What? <laughs> no, 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 not gamble, not gamble. Bryce gambles. <laughs> but if you're saying, because in the so, book you point out that three quarters of professional stock pickers in the Australian market don't outperform the yes. average. So yeah. four yes. out of five yeah. are wasting their time. Yes. We, but, we, but you guys are sort of like, feels like you're having it both ways here. Well, I mean, so 80%, at least 80% of our portfolio is this strategy, dollar cost okay. averaging into broad-based ETFs, because we recognise that doing this from 
as early as possible for as long as possible is going to give us a very healthy portfolio for when we want to try and get some sort of financial freedom later in life. The remaining 20% and the, you know, the excitement that you hear on the podcast where we're talking <laughs> about individual stocks is genuinely, Alec and I are just interested in businesses and and having a bit of fun beyond just buying ETFs. And I think mm. the point of this book is that if you're not interested in that 20%, you're not interested in what, you know, some of the amazing AI companies are doing overseas or random companies over in Africa mm. or whatever it may be, this strategy is more than enough. The ETFs that we're investing in are in the Microsofts, in the Apples, the Googles, those sort of companies. But there are companies that um, I put money in that, I've, you know, I still have money in those companies taking smaller uh, – positions, not bets in mm. some small cap companies <laughs> that might do well. Uh, it's just companies that genuinely interest me. So are you in the 80% who underperform the index or the 20% who outperform? <laughs> Let me tell you, Tom, my portfolio does very well. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> One of the um, numerical examples you give in the book that probably stood out to me and is, is really relevant to people listening now really goes to the point of starting early. And so you, you lay out this comparison where someone at the age of 20 starts investing $100 a month. So $1,200 a year, like relatively achievable. They only do it for 10 years. So between 20 and 30, they put in $100 a month. You compare that to someone who starts at 30. So they start 10 years later. They invest the same amount, $100 a month. But the person who started at 20 and only did it for 10 years ends up with more money at the age of 80 than the person who started at 30 and kept doing it their whole life. That is mind-blowing. Yeah. You know, it's the power of compound interest. But it's really hard to get your head around, and that's why we wanted to include the, I guess, the worked example in the book where we actually laid out the table mm. because um, once you start early and you start letting that money compound, it then sort of takes upon a life of itself. And every year you earn a return on all the money you made the previous year and all the years before that, and so if you get a head start, it's almost impossible for someone who's starting later to catch up. Now, importantly, that doesn't mean if you're in your 30s or your 40s or however mm. old you are listening to this, you haven't missed out. That's uh, an important thing to stress. But if you are young or you have kids or nieces and nephews or uh, anyone that you know who is, you know, in their teens or in their 20s, get them this book, get them started mm. because there is so much power starting young. That was Alec Renahan and Bryce Lesk from the Equity Mates podcast and their book is called Don't Stress, Just Invest. Now, it's important to note that all of that was general financial advice, not personal advice that's tailored to your specific situation. So keep that in mind because, for example, and this is a classic case, you might be saving for a house deposit and you might want to buy in the next, say, two years. For you, because you'll need that money back soon, the stock market might be too risky in the short term and investing your money in a savings account where you can get sometimes over 5%, that might be the best option for you in the short term. But either way, whether it is a high interest savings account or investing in the stock market as Alex and Bryce were talking about, the main advice there is to start as soon as possible and automate it so it starts building and compounding. All right, that is it for this episode of The Briefing. Tomorrow, you'll get the weekend briefing in your feed hosted by Jamila Rizvi. And she's going to be speaking to one of the lead proponents of the Yes campaign, ahead of what we think will be a week where the date is announced. 
She'll be speaking to Thomas Mayer. Indigenous people will have an opportunity to elect Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander representatives that will have set terms and we can hold them to account. And those representatives will be expected to take the solutions that are worked on uh, on the ground to the parliament. It's going to be really effective because right now we have to wait for politicians to come to us, uh, in remote communities especially. And this will be a proactive way for Indigenous people to work together, take the responsibility for what we think the solutions are, what policy should be, what the best programs are, and then take that to the politicians as, as we wish. Yeah, so you'll get a sense of how the voice could work if Australia votes for it. And as I said before, we're expecting to have the date for the referendum announced this coming week. So yeah, that'll be a really interesting episode for the weekend briefing tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to our hardworking team, um, senior producer Eleanor Harrison, Dan Gate, producer Helen Smith, Dan Mullins and Matt Curry. Listener.